Good morning, church. We're in a series called The Church as Diaspora, where we've been looking at the book of Acts and how the early church moved in an environment of deep disruption and dispersion and how she accomplished the mission that God had for her during that time. We need to learn from that as the 21st century church, how God moved in those early days in the book of Acts. And we've been looking at how the church took the gospel from Jerusalem to the Judean and Samarian areas uh, beyond Jerusalem. And then last week, we looked at how the gospel moved beyond Palestine, beyond Turkey, and now into uh, Europe, into Macedonia, modern-day Greece. And this morning, we're going to look at how Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke brought the gospel for the first time to European soil through the country of uh, the region of Macedonia, modern-day Greece. And we're going to learn from our passage today in Acts chapter 16, as they went to the Roman colony of Philippi, how through an environment of prayer, uh, the early church saw people come to faith, be baptized, and how they were able to navigate both distraction and opposition to the gospel, something that we need to uh, be uh, focused on during the coronavirus event, as God still wants our church to move forward uh, in the downtown LA area, as well as in Orange County. This topic is very important for us, both as a church and for you as individuals here this morning. As a church, we have a mission that God has uh, before us, and we are right now seeing, and we anticipate we will continue to see, people come to faith in Jesus Christ and commit to declare their faith unashamedly through Christian baptism. And so we are seeing that now. We anticipate seeing that in the future. And as we do, um, we anticipate that the enemy, uh, Satan and his uh, demonic forces, will come against our church by uh, trying to distract us from the mission and even putting opposition to our mission as a church. And so it's very important, this message, for us as City Bible Church, but also secondarily for uh, the individual people who make up the church. We are individual followers of Jesus Christ, and God has given us a mission to reach people in our own sphere of influence. God has given you, Christian, the most important mission in the history of the world, which is to share your faith and to be part of God's work and seeing other people come to know Jesus Christ. And as you do that with your immediate family first as a priority, and then to your friends around you, your coworkers, and then to strangers you meet, and even to people within our church who may not have made a profession of faith, um, a saving profession, you will see in your own personal life, as you step forward to be used by God to advance the kingdom of God, and you become a threat uh, to the dark kingdom, you will start to see uh, the enemy start to distract you, even tr try and oppose you in your Christian witness. And through that distraction and opposition in your own personal life, I believe uh, God will use that to bring out an urgency to your faith. He will remind you that what you are a part of is eternal, and uh, it will become very real to you as you begin to and continue to sh uh, share your faith. It will sharpen your faith. It will mature your faith. And so... Uh, our passage this morning is very important, both for us as a church and as individuals, as we focus on uh, Paul and his missionary team's ministry to the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16, as they saw people come to know the Lord, be baptized, and as they faced distraction 
and opposition from the enemy. And so let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 40, and we'll read along our passage together. Acts chapter 16, verse 11 says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened up her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 16, as they were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl and who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought, then they brought them to the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing the city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus that you will be saved, and you will be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his, of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in this place. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men, who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. 
uh, an amazing passage of ministry as the gospel made its way to Europe through the city of Philippi and Paul's missionary term, team. Um, we're going to talk a little bit of background, a little bit of summary, and we're going to look at two spiritual dynamics that happen in the context of prayer as people were led to faith and the church faced distraction and opposition. But let's look at the background to this passage before we do. Uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He put together the team of uh, Timothy, Silas, and later on Luke. Um, and it says in the earlier passage that we looked at last week in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, that the Apostle Paul and his team uh, moved westward through the region of largely of Turkey, and they were probably going to go to the southern region, the southwestern region, and to the northern region of Turkey, where in the south there was the uh, seven churches that would eventually become the churches of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, but they were blocked by uh, the Holy Spirit, and so they started to move to northern Turkey, and they were blocked by the Spirit of Jesus, and so they went south into the port city of Troas. It's on the western side of Turkey. And it was there they, they received a vision from what Paul calls a man of Macedonia that's, um, that was westward in modern-day Greece, and he said, come over and help us. Paul and his team discerned that this was of the Lord, of God, and so they got on a boat from uh, Troas, and they crossed the Aegean Sea westward, and they landed in the port city of Neapolis, which is on the eastern side of modern-day Greece. Uh, Lorraine and I, we went on a tour last year of Greece and Turkey, kind of in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. It was an amazing once-in-a-life uh, trip, about 17 days, where we looked through all these churches that Paul planted and ministered in in the Book of Acts, as well as um, in Greece and Turkey. I'm just going to show you a few pictures of this area as we go along, uh, this is a picture of Neapolis. Uh, it's a beautiful port city. This is where Paul and uh, Timothy and Silas would have landed on the eastern uh, shore of Greece. And uh, they would have made their way to Philippi. That's a city maybe about eight or so miles inland. Philippi was named after uh, Philip II of Macedon. He was the father of Alexander the Great. And so Philippi was founded as a Roman colony uh, somewhere around 350 B.C., is about over 350 years before the time of Christ. And uh, you come to the city of Philippi, uh, and there are some ruins there. They, it's actually amazing. They, can, they actually allow you to walk over them still. It's this arid, dry region, and uh, there's all these uh, leftover ruins from that time. And you can see on the floor uh, a mosaic, at least at one place, of the Apostle Paul's name inscribed into the floor of Philippi in a mosaic, showing that he was there doing ministry. You also see on the ground in various places, carved into uh, the, the, the concrete, you know, the, the stone, is uh, a, a Christian symbol, a circle with a, a cross and an X. And within the cross and the X, you see all the Greek letters to spell out the name uh, Christ, Christos. And as well as you, uh, you have a picture of a latrine that I took. Uh, people would just sit on the rocks. There was a kind of hole where there was a wood, uh, uh, stone stream that they carved out where water would go through. And so they would just kind of do their business there. And then the stream of water would take it out somewhere else. It was kind of exposed, so I'm sure it didn't spell, smell too well. Uh, but this was Philippi, or what we know of it uh, in the 21st century. And this was the time in Acts chapter 16 where the gospel first came to Europe. And this was the beginning of Acts chapter 16 through Acts chapter 20 of an amazing stretch of ministry 
As Paul and his companions ministered and planted churches and led people to faith in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus, in Greece and in Turkey. And so we know, obviously, a lot of those churches because there's uh, epistles written about them or to them during this time. And so just a, a very important that we look at Paul's ministry and his companion's ministry in Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at two spiritual dynamics now uh, that remind us within the context of prayer, the work that God does through that. And so let's look at the first. It is through an environment of prayer that people came to faith and were baptized. Uh, we see this in the ministry of Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke in verse 13 through 15 in Acts chapter 16. Uh, it says that Paul and Timothy and Luke were going for a place of prayer. It was uh, during the Sabbath, so they were looking for a place to pray. And they came across, it says, uh, a group of women that were uh, sitting by a stream, a river, and they were praying and presumably reading the scriptures and talking about it. And so Paul and his missionary team came upon them. And uh, there probably were not many Jews in Philippi because in order to establish a Jewish synagogue, you needed 10 Jewish men who were heads of households. And so the fact that these women were just kind of gathered together on the Sabbath probably meant that there were not at least 10 Jewish men uh, at least willing to establish a synagogue during that time. And so Lydia, it says that they met a woman named Lydia who was from the region, uh, uh, a city of uh, Thyatira, and Thyatira was in Turkey, and that was part of the larger region called Lydian. And so Lydia was probably named after the wider region of Lydian, of which the city of Thyatira she was from, or maybe she was just known as the woman from Lydian, and they shortened it to Lydia. But she uh, was a dealer in purple garments, purple apparel. Purple was a very expensive uh, color to dye clothing in that day because it was so rare. Thyatira, where Lydia was from, was known for producing purple garments. And so that would have made sense that she was uh, buying and selling purple garments. And so uh, she was probably a woman of great financial means because uh, that was a high-end uh, apparel for women and maybe even men, I suppose. Uh, but it says in verse 14 that Lydia was a worshiper of God when Paul and his companions already met her. And it says again in verse 14 that the Lord opened up her heart to what Paul was sharing from the word. She, um, she eventually got baptized, uh, her and her household. And uh, this is a picture of the river that runs through uh, Philippi even to this day. And uh, we, it's our best guess that this is the river that Lydia and her household got baptized in. And so we got a chance to visit this. It's uh, just, a, just a really amazing place in Philippi. But it says in verse 15 that she goes on to say, If you consider me to be a believer, um, come stay at my house, Paul and your companions. And so she invited them uh, and she provided hospitality to them as missionaries. And I love this passage because Paul and Ty Timothy and Silas and Luke were looking for a place of prayer. And it was within that context that they met Lydia, led her household to faith, and presumably others um, later on, and they got baptized. God had prepared Lydia's heart for Paul and his missionaries to reach. It says she was already a, uh, 
uh, kind of um, a worshiper of God, but she hadn't yet made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And it was also goes on to say that the Lord opened up her heart. God is already at work in people's hearts to begin to draw them to himself before we even step onto the scene. What we need to do as a church is to pray that God would lead us to the Lydia's that will come across our path in Los Angeles, in Orange County. The ones that God has already prepared, the ones that he was already opening up their hearts as we began to share the message of salvation. I love this passage because Lydia is portrayed as a woman. She's almost like this Proverbs 31 woman. She uh, has her own business. She's probably a hard worker, uh, fears the Lord. But there's a simplicity to her faith. She was a sophisticated woman, but there's a simplicity in terms of her obedience, her teachability, the joy that she had, the gratitude that she had, um, her willingness to believe, to serve. There's an immediacy uh, to her faith that is just so beautiful amidst new believers. And sometimes in the church, we can think that we as believers who have been around the faith of the church for a long time, um, it is the people that we are leading to faith, uh, they are only benefiting from us. But the reality is it works both ways. Because when you see new people come to faith, there is a joy. There is um, uh, a willingness to learn. There is a hunger in their life for the truth that sometimes older believers lose. Sometimes they lose the passion. And not just younger believers or new believers uh, need older believers, but the reverse is true. We in the church need people who are just coming to faith to remind us of the purity of the faith, the beauty, the joy, the passion of the faith. I kind of liken it to parents having young children. You know, sometimes life just beats you down with great sorrows. Uh, Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, with much knowledge comes much sorrow. And sometimes life does that to you. But when you have children, children remind you of the wonder of life, the joy of life, the simplicity of life, the and I think parents really benefit from that as they begin to see the world through the eyes of their child, and it brings joy and passion and purpose to their own life. And I think the same is true in the Christian faith, is that uh, people who have been believers for a while need to be around people who are coming to faith, who have just come to the faith, to be reminded of the joys and the hunger for truth. Um, there is uh, a couple uh, a married couple that are going to be baptized at our church on October 11th at the beach. We do our baptisms at City Bible Church at the beach, and we are just so thrilled and encouraged about that. Uh, they went through our new believers class. They made a profession of faith um, through our church a little while ago, and uh, and they're going to be baptized. And, and we've actually encouraged the parents to share their faith with their younger daughter. Maybe their whole household will get baptized in professions of faith um, like Lydia and her own household. But that's going to happen on October 11th at the beach. And we are very excited about that. But when you talk with this couple that's getting baptized, they are so hungry to learn the word of God. Uh, Pastor Mike has been uh, meeting with the uh, husband every week for many, many weeks now throughout the coronavirus. And uh, he's been teaching his wife, his daughter, and, uh, and they, they have an incredible ministry that um, I can't go into much detail right now, but they have a reach towards another country that's a persecuted country. 
And so what God could do to multiply this impact through this couple. Church, we need to be praying. Just like Paul and his companions were praying, looking for a place of prayer, we need to pray that God would lead us to the Lydia's that our church can reach in the future. Um, And I want to invite you this week, this upcoming week, to spend one day praying and fasting for exactly that. Praying and fasting for our church, but specifically for our church, that God would lead us to people that he is already reaching out to to come to faith. I want to encourage you this week to spend some time in prayer and fasting for that. Uh, Maybe you fast for 24 hours. Maybe it's just even just for one meal. And instead of eating, you spend the time in prayer and fasting. Whatever that might be, it's it's up to you. But let's do that this week. Let's apply what uh, we're learning in Acts 16. And I do believe that God will bless that for our church going forward. So there's a spiritual dynamic we can learn from our church today that, it, that as we pray, we can hope for and be encouraged and even expect God to lead us to the Lydia's and their households to come to faith and to be baptized. And I believe he will do that in the future, uh, City Bible Church, as he is doing that at this very moment. The second and uh, final spiritual dynamic we're going to look at this morning is that within the context of prayer, the church is able to navigate spiritual distractions and opposition to her mission. In verse 16 through 40 that we read, uh, there's two encounters that Paul and his uh, companions met. They met a distraction through a fortune teller woman, and they faced opposition when they were persecuted for their faith at Philippine, thrown into jail, and then they escaped. Um, Let's look at this first part. The fortune teller, in verse 16 through 18, there was a distraction to the gospel. They were going for a place of prayer. There was a woman who was a fortune teller, and she was looking um, around towards them and, and trying to follow them, saying, these men are of the Most High God, and they're declaring the way of salvation. She was declaring the correct theology, but she was doing it in a way that was annoying Paul because he saw that she had a spirit of a demon. And so after days of this, Paul turned to her and he turned to the demon inside of her and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of this woman. The demon left and Paul and his companions separated from the woman. The apostles had that ability to rebuke demons. Um, And that was kind of a unique time in the church's history. I would not recommend uh, Christians going out and doing that here today. I think you can get into a lot of spiritual trouble doing that. That's very dangerous uh, when you're dealing with that. Rather, just to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, would you stop this evil power? I think it's a much better way of going about things. Um, But you notice that Paul did not yoke himself. He did not join his ministry to people who are under the influence of evil and dark forces. Uh, You want to reach those people, but you never want to combine your ministry with people who are... Um, unrepentant and holding on to dark forces in their life. It can just lead to all kinds of distraction if it starts to infiltrate the ministry of the church. And so that was a good call on Paul's part. And um, so there was a distraction to their ministry. And secondly, in verse 19 through 40, there was an opposition to their ministry that again, in verse, um, um, in in the verses following, verse 19 through 40, uh, Paul and Silas, they were uh, thrown into prison because the magistrates, uh, the business people, they, they were mad because the fortune teller could not um, make the money anymore. They were charging uh, people to get their fortune told because she was under demonic power. By the way, demons operate Demons operate in a different space-time continuum than we do as humans. And so um, there is every possibility 
that um, not only are they influencing fortune tellers, which they are, but they are also able to operate in space and time differently. And so there is every possibility that they can know things about the future that we don't. And so people who go to fortune tellers think, well, you know, this obviously is good because maybe some of these things came true. A lot of it is phony, fakes, law, and lies, but some of it maybe uh, is coming from demons that know the future. And so uh, you have to be very, you want to stay away from that because even if something comes true, it doesn't mean that the way that that came true is of the Lord and it's uh, coming from an evil place. But um, so they were upset, uh, the city officials, the, uh, the, the business merchants. And so they threw Paul and Silas into a prison or had them beaten, thrown into a prison. And it was Paul and Silas because they were Jewish. They did not throw Timothy and Luke, it says, into the prison because they were Gentiles. They were Roman citizens. And here's a picture of um, maybe the prison that Paul and Silas were in. Uh, we don't know exactly which one it was, but it might have been this one or one of the ones surrounding, but it probably looked something like this stone kind of cave and that was dark and damp and dirty. And so there was an earthquake that happened uh, in the middle of the night. And it says in verse 25 that it was at midnight that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And so it was in the context of prayer that God brought an earthquake. All the shackles were released from the prisoners. Uh, the jailer woke up. He saw that, you know, this had happened and he assumed that the prisoners were gone. Paul called out, don't kill yourself. We are all still here. I don't know why those other prisoners didn't leave, but they didn't. Uh, but Paul and Silas were, were there to speak on God's behalf. The jailer fell to his knees, the passage says, and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul led him to the Lord. Um, they, he, they went back to the jailer's home. And uh, they all came to faith. They were all baptized. The jailer took them in, fed them, cared for them. The next day, the magistrates decided to let Paul and Silas go for whatever reason. We don't know. And um, Paul and Silas said, no, we're not going to go. We're Roman citizens. You beat us illegally without due process of a fair trial. And so therefore, you come apologize to us directly. See, there was a big capital offense to take a Roman citizen and not give them due process in the court of law. And if you did that and Rome found out about it, you could be exiled as a Roman uh, colony. You could face censure or punishment. So they were scared, the magistrates. They begged Paul and Silas and the others to leave. And Paul and Silas kind of strolled out of there. They went back to Lydia's house, the passage says. And it says, when they saw the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. They built up the Philippian church. It was through the context of prayer and hymn singing that God released them through a miracle. And... Uh, and, and, and it was through these, these, this distraction and this opposition, and it was in the context of prayer in both cases that the church was able to move forward in her mission. And I love how Paul and Silas kept their focus on God and not man when they sang praises to God and prayed even amidst the persecution that they were going through. Um, I've been going through a time of persecution the last few months, and um, Almost every single night for the past two or three weeks, I've been listening to worship music as I go for a walk at night around my neighborhood. And I've been calling a couple of the guys from church um, to pray with me over the phone. And we've been praying almost every single night for this particular situation I've been going through. And um, it just reminds me that through opposition or distraction, we need to be committed to prayer. City Bible Church, I believe that God has great things for our church. 
He, we are going to be reopening up our services uh, this Sunday and the following Sunday, in-person services in the parking lot of our downtown location outside. And uh, God is going to use our church uh, powerfully to meet new people, to lead them to Christ, to see them declare their faith in Christian baptism. And, um, and, but we're going to face distraction. We're going to face opposition. And so we need to pray. We need to pray just as Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke did. We need to pray in the context of our mission. And I believe God will use this to uh, use our church to lead people to himself. And we will be built up in our faith. We will be encouraged in our faith through that. And so let's be faithful to that, church. And uh, we're going to see God do amazing things in the time ahead. God bless.